to Wellness Realness with Christina Rice. I'm your host, Christina. I'm a nutritional therapy practitioner, holistic health coach, Reiki practitioner, and the creator of ChristinaRiceWellness.com, where you can find my blog, recipes, services, programs, and ebooks. In this podcast, I'll be discussing all things related to health and wellness, and I promise to always keep it very real. Remember my disclaimer the information in this podcast is general health and nutrition advice and is not a replacement for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you'd like to submit a question or a topic for me to discuss, submit it on the podcast page at ChristinaRiceWellness.com. Don't forget to subscribe, leave a rating and a review on iTunes, and join our Facebook group, Wellness Wellness Podcast Tribe. I don't know if you feel it, but I definitely feel Mercury being in retrograde. Things have been going awry left and right the last day, and this is going to last all through July. So everyone just stay calm, settle down. But if you notice that things are going wrong, emotions are heightened, you're having intense feelings, just remember, Mercury is in retrograde. But you're going to be fine. There is one sure way to make sure this is the best July ever, though, and that is enrolling in my Paleo Women Lifestyle Program. I am so excited because I'm opening up another round of my online group coaching program. And this one is special because it's actually the last time I will be running this online course as a group program. So my course is sold all the time as a self-study online course. You can just go through the content on your own time, at your own pace. But a few times a year, I run this as a group program where you will get all the online content. So this is video and audio lectures for me, downloadable PDFs, and then you'll also get access to our private Facebook group. That's a place where you can connect with the other women who are in the program and who have already been in the program. We're all just in one big Facebook group, and you can ask any questions in there, and I'm in there moderating, answering questions. So you can chat with me. You can chat with the other women in the group. And then you will also get access to our live video coaching calls, which are my personal favorite part of the whole course because we hop on video calls, we get to see each other, everyone can chat and get to know each other there, and I answer any questions you might have. We talk about a wide variety of topics, and that's just kind of where the course can become its own for each group. Each group kind of leads the conversation in a different direction, so we can chat about anything in those calls. So I have all the pre-recorded content, but we discuss things far beyond what's pre-recorded as well. So you're getting a lot, a lot of content. And when you join the program, you will also get access to all of the previously recorded live calls. So this is live calls from the past few years. So you have so many hours of content to work through. If you want to work through all of that, you don't have to look at the old video calls. So they're there if you want them to. And I mean, this is basically every resource you could ever need for your health at your disposal. If you are a woman who is interested in health and wellness and you want to learn everything that I think every woman needs to know to optimize her health and reach her health goals, join this program. This program is for you. There are no requirements other than 
a desire to learn more and a desire to be a part of an incredibly supportive community. You do not have to be paleo or become paleo. You don't have to already know things about health and nutrition. You also don't have to be at the beginning of your journey. You can be wherever you are in your journey. We have so many different types of women of all different ages and all different health struggles, ranging from weight loss to chronic illness to getting rid of their acne to getting rid of headaches and migraines to optimizing their digestion, everything in between. In the course, we are going to cover everything about nutrition that you need to know, including all about the different macronutrients and how to build an actually balanced plate, not just what you see on Instagram that's usually not balanced, as well as the top health mistakes I see women making and how to avoid them. We will also be chatting about cooking and grocery shopping, all of the sneaky ingredients to watch out for. That one usually shocks people at how much they realize they didn't know. And we will also be talking about exercise and stress management and sleep hacks and making this a lifestyle and social dynamics and body image and balancing hormones and gut health and everything else you could ever think of. Sexuality, feminine energy, brain retraining. We get into all of that. The live calls are just, they're epic. That's all I have to say. If you are considering working with a practitioner, I highly recommend going through this course first because in the long run, it will save you a lot of money because you can get yourself pretty far, if not all the way there, depending on your health issue or health concern with all the information in this course. And this is going to be the last opportunity you have to take advantage of this group program. This is the last time I will be doing the live video calls and I will be moderating the Facebook group. So if you want in, now is the time. People come to me with questions all the time, and my real question for you is, are you ready to invest in yourself? Because that's what this is. It's investing in yourself, and in the long run, there are so many returns on that, and you're probably gonna go through this and think, wow, I wish I had done this two years ago. I created this program because I wish I had something like this a few years ago when I was trying to figure out this whole health thing and I was trying to work through my health issues, if I had this course and this information at my disposal, I would have been a million times better off and things would have been a lot easier and I would have saved myself probably, honestly, tens of thousands of dollars in the long run. So I'm just really passionate about this information. I absolutely love the community we've created and the women in there, we are a tribe. You will meet your lifelong friends. Everyone in there is incredible. And I'm really excited to add to our little family. So if you are interested in learning more, you can go to bit.ly slash paleo women lifestyle. You can also go to my website, christinaricewellness.com and just go to the courses tab and click the program. So enrollment is going to open up July 15th. That's this upcoming Monday if you're listening to this when it comes out. And on that day, enrollment will be $200 off for that day only. There are going to be limited spots available. Spots usually fill up the first day. So if you want in, I highly recommend signing up that day and hopping on early. If there are any spaces left over, then the course will go up to regular price for Tuesday and the rest of the week. If you want to secure your spot, you can email me at christina at christinaricewellness.com and get on the wait list that will secure that you have a spot and you get the discounted price so you don't have to worry about hopping on super early on July 15th and beating everybody else. And then the course is going to officially start July 22nd. It's going to be so much fun. It's five weeks long. I mean, I say that, but a lot of the women take longer to work through the content and you have access to it all forever. So it's really just a forever course. So if you want 
in on this. If you're thinking about it, this is your opportunity. This is the universe telling you, now is the time. I'm choosing myself. I'm investing in myself. You really have nothing to lose, only everything to gain. So take your opportunity. All right, so today I want to chat about gut health and digestive issues really at a baseline level because a couple weeks ago I was in Denver. Was that a couple weeks ago? I don't even know at this point. I don't know what's happening with time. Anyways, I was in Denver with my friend Michelle Strand, who I adore, and I met her friend Michaela, who is super sweet and fun, and we were kind of just talking about digestive issues. And, you know, a lot of people, a lot of people come to me and they say, I've got issues, what do I do? Or I have digestive issues, what do I do? And this is a, that's a big question. And I think a lot of times people don't really realize how big a question it is because there are so many things that could be going on. But when we had this conversation, I realized, wow, I don't have a podcast. That's just like, where do I start? Like, where do I start if I've got issues? And that could be everything from bloating to constipation to diarrhea to heartburn, acid reflux, food intolerances, nausea. You just feel like something's going on with your gut. So where do we start? And I wanted to make a podcast answering this question. I could get into the nitty-gritty of this. When it comes to gut health, there are so many nuances and so many so many places to go, but if you are just looking for, okay, where do I begin? What do I do? That's what I want to walk you through right now. If you just have basic digestive issues and you implement what I tell you in this episode, you might be able to just completely get rid of them. If you have more complicated issues, you're going to need to start with these baseline changes anyways. And I think it's always just a good reminder for everybody. I mean, some of these things even I have to remind myself over and over again, okay, you know, maybe I'm bloated today. What do I do differently? Like, what what do I need to pay attention to? So a really good reminder and just a lot of good baseline information. And if you just don't know where to begin, this is what I would say. So first of all, the most important thing to start with is your nutrition, says the nutritional therapy practitioner. I know, shocking. So let's start with the basics. If you have digestive issues, the most important things that I'm going to tell you to eliminate are going to be gluten, dairy, sugar, and inflammatory oils. So I know no one wants to hear that they should get rid of gluten, but I personally think that everybody should eliminate gluten. It increases intestinal permeability in everybody, which is the root of all chronic disease, and we will get into intestinal permeability later. But if you want more about that, I've covered that on a few other podcasts, and also I've written a blog post, so you can just search gluten on my blog and I explain in depth what's going on in the body when you consume gluten. But gluten can cause a lot of digestive issues for many people. That one is huge. And then dairy, of course. That's another really common one. It can make a lot of people have upset stomachs if you're lactose intolerant, definitely. But even if you're not lactose intolerant, you might not realize that the dairy products in your life are giving you digestive issues. Milk, yogurt, butter, cheeses, all suspect. Most people do okay with ghee, but in terms of an elimination diet, I would still take it out and then add it in later. And then sugar. Sugar is highly inflammatory in the body, downregulates your immune system, but also can cause a lot of digestive issues. 
And when I say sugar, I want to focus mainly on refined sugar to start off with, so cane sugar, but it can go beyond that for some people. If they have certain digestive issues, they would want to eliminate even more natural sugars like maple syrup and honey, but I wouldn't start there. I would start with just any refined sugars like cane sugar and high fructose corn syrup and dextrose and so on. And then inflammatory oils. So this is going to include your canola oil, your safflower oil, all these vegetable oils that people cook with. And this also means paying attention to what's in your food. So this means looking at ingredients labels. And if you're eating out at restaurants all the time, you probably don't know what's in your food and that it's in itself could be causing issues. So this is going to mean cooking more of your own food at home. When you eat out at restaurants, they're usually cooking an inflammatory oil. That alone can cause digestive issues. They're usually sneaking sugar and things that you might not even realize. I mean, I know even most of the healthiest restaurants that I consider healthy, they still give me digestive issues because they usually sneak a ton of sugar into their food. That's just kind of the way it is. For example, Erewhon Hot Bar. If you think that there's not maple syrup and everything, you're fooling yourself. And then gluten and dairy also definitely sneak into a lot of food that's found at restaurants. So this means cooking more of your own food and just paying attention to ingredients. If you make it a rule that you are going to pay attention to the ingredients in your food, that alone will force you to make so many changes, including making things yourself, cooking more at home. That will help your digestion to to begin with. And then we want to kind of move further from there. So that's where I would say baseline, we need to get rid of the gluten, dairy, sugar, inflammatory oils. But really what I suggest and what I would tell anyone who came to me as a client is we need to move towards a paleo diet. So we need to be eating whole foods from the earth that don't have an ingredients label. So we're going to focus on healthy proteins, healthy animal products, including pastured eggs and grass-fed, 100% grass-fed. If it doesn't say 100% before the grass-fed, it's probably grain-finished. So 100% grass-fed meat, beef, organic pastured poultry, wild-caught fish, you get the idea. And then plenty of healthy fats, That would include things like avocados and coconuts and olives and then extra virgin olive oil. But you want to be careful with that because most of the olive oil at the store is cut with canola oil. This is why I buy from Cassandrinos. This is not sponsored, but you can use my code wellness for 10% off Cassandrinos. I just love their olive oil and there are definitely other brands out there as well that are pure, but... They're harder to find, and most of what you find at the store is going to be cut with an inflammatory oil. So keep that in mind. So extra virgin olive oil, high-quality olive oil in a dark glass bottle, avocado oil, duck fat, lard, bison tallow, coconut oil. I promise it's not going to kill you. Those are the cooking oils that you would want to use. And then there are also some other oils that can be great for topping your food, including macadamia oil or walnut oil or any of those nut seed oils, pumpkin seed oil, but you don't want to cook with those because it will oxidize. So I would focus on the other fats, but those are healthy fats. And then lots of 
vegetables, lots of color, fruits. You can do some nuts and seeds. The theme, though, is whole foods from the earth, and this is going to help you out a lot because your body recognizes these foods as whole foods. Processed foods, your body literally thinks of as an invader, and processed foods are inflammatory in the body. They will cause harm to the gut lining, and our body doesn't even have the enzymes to break down a processed food, that foreign invader, so it's harder on the digestive tract, messes with your hunger signals and cravings, so you want to focus on unprocessed foods and you know that there's not hidden hidden ingredients in there. This also helps to eliminate all of those iffy ingredients. People ask me for, you know, what's a list of ingredients to avoid? And it is so long. And in my program, I go in depth about all of the different names for gluten and corn and dairy and sugar because there are so many different names. But if you don't know what something is, don't put it in your body. Even things like monk fruit and stevia, all of these sweeteners, well, artificial sweeteners like sucralose are just absolute trash. Do not ever eat those. But, you know, there are these, quote, healthier sweeteners that people are eating like stevia and monk fruit and xylitol, and those can still cause a lot of digestive issues. I see people getting really bloated from those stomach cramps. So if you are struggling with your digestion, it's important to strip things down and I lean paleo because that also eliminates grains and legumes. So that's beans and peanuts and corn and soy. And all of those can cause digestive issues as well. All of these can cause inflammation in the digestive tract and contribute to intestinal permeability. And so if you want to calm down your digestion, you just really want to soothe your gut. Even with the packaged, quote, paleo goods, they put things in there. There's a lot going on, a lot of ingredients, and I just find that it often irritates people's gut. So really, I would say lean as close to a paleo diet as you can. In my eyes, that is just a baseline, and honestly, tough love. It's not that hard. You can have a smoothie for breakfast. You can have eggs for breakfast. You can have meat and veggies for breakfast, like me. Put some avocado on it. And then lunch and dinner vegetables and healthy fats and get an animal protein on there. It's not that complicated. And then, you know, you can, there's nuts and seeds. You can have some fruit. You can have extra meat, another smoothie. Any of that are good snacks, you know, but if you're eating enough and you're eating whole foods, that really regulates your appetite. So you might find you don't need to snack as much. But you need to provide your body with the nutrients it needs to heal as well as give it foods that it knows how to digest and process. But I really wanted to touch on those sweeteners like the stevia, monk fruit, xylitol, because I do see a lot of people, you know, it causes them digestive issues. Other people, no problem at all, but it's worth testing it out. People tend to do much better with a honey or a maple syrup. So for example, when I'm sweetening something, I'd much rather use a maple syrup or honey, a real food from the earth that my body knows how to recognize rather than something that has been made in a lab and processed. That doesn't mean I never eat those, but you know, if I'm focusing on my digestion, if you have digestive issues, I would start there. I also want to talk about, you know, vegan and vegetarian diets, and I find that these often cause a lot of digestive issues. People are eating a lot of nuts and seeds or grains and legumes on these diets, and their bodies don't have enough protein to 
to support the healing of their gut lining and you need amino acids in your body to build and repair and you need L-glutamine to support the health of your gut and diets really high in fiber can be really tough on the digestive tract. So I know that, you know, in this 1990s science, people like to think that the more fiber, the better. I disagree. I think that there are certain people who do see improvement in bowel movements when they increase their fiber. I think that there is a much larger group of people who do much better when they cut down on the fiber. This is why carnivore, the carnivore diet has been so great for people with digestive issues because fiber is irritating to the gut lining. And there have been studies showing that people who go on low or no fiber diets or constipation improves greatly. So especially with constipation, it's about kind of finding your sweet spot and Sometimes the fiber is just too much. If your body cannot break down all of all of the fiber, especially if people are eating a ton of plants and your body doesn't know how to break all of that down, that's going to make you bloated and constipated or give you diarrhea. I also want to talk about coffee for a second because a lot of people will come to me saying they have crazy diarrhea and then I'm like, can you take the coffee out of your diet? And they do and then all of a sudden they're constipated. And I'm like, yeah, see, you don't have the issue you thought you had and it's really important to know what your bowel movements are actually like without something that is moving them along for you. And coffee has a laxative effect. So I really recommend if you have gut health issues to remove the coffee. It's also a stressor on the adrenals and when your body's having trouble breaking food down, you don't need an added stressor on your adrenals. Coffee is also a food that sometimes the body mistakes for gluten. So there are certain foods that we call cross-reactive foods. And people who are sensitive to gluten, sometimes the body, the immune system mistakes proteins and other foods as the proteins found in gluten. And so sometimes someone with gluten sensitivity can be sensitive to some of these cross-reactive foods. And this is the list. Dairy, chocolate, sesame, hemp, buckwheat, eggs, soy, sorghum, millet, spelt, amaranth, quinoa, yeast, tapioca, teff, oats, coffee, rice, and whey. So if you've gotten gluten-free and aren't seeing results, you might have a sensitivity to one of those foods as well. Eggs can be another one that cause people digestive issues and skin issues. That's a common one to watch out for. If you've already taken out all of the grains and legumes, I would look into the eggs. I would look into the coffee. Double check that there's not soy in any of your products. Soy, everybody should get rid of just for your overall health. And soy is heading in so many different products. So looking out for things like soy lecithin. And I mean, I've seen soy lecithin in teas. And I talked about this last week on my Instagram stories. I was going through my teas and I'm like, look at these ingredients. There's natural flavor. There's lecithin. There's stevia and with the natural flavors that you don't know what that is that can be anything artificial flavors 100% stay away from natural flavors sometimes it truly is a natural flavor and they've labeled it as natural flavor other times it is something that's quote natural it's from it's from a plant or an animal but it's not necessarily something that you want in your body so for example when I cover this with the ladies in my program this is probably the best example is beaver discharge gives a vanilla flavor and they use that in certain products and label it natural flavor. So sometimes you get a product and maybe the natural flavor is that and other times maybe it is an actual 
vanilla bean and they put it as that. You don't know. So if you have a natural flavor in a product you love, I would call the company and be like, can you tell me what this natural flavor is? They have to tell you. If they don't tell you, then that's sketchy. Stay away. But there are just so many ingredients hiding in what what seems like healthy products on the surface. So guar gum is another one that can be a huge gut irritant and it's found in a lot of foods and you find this in a lot of healthier, even paleo packaged goods. I talk about this one all the time, but nut milk, this is another staple that a lot of people have in their kitchens and you look at the ingredients in their nut milk and there's carrageenan and gums and lecithins and sugar and it's all hiding in there and people don't realize that maybe that almond milk that you're putting in your smoothie or your coffee every day is giving you gut issues. And it might not be for everybody, but again, I'm just saying these are all things to look into if you are struggling with your digestive health and sometimes you have to really clean things up to be able to tell what is and isn't giving you issues. For example, guar gum actually feeds SIBO. So for a lot of SIBO protocols, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth, a really great way to kill off the gut bugs is to supplement with guar gum at the same time as starting your protocol because that feeds the bacteria and they come out to play and then you can kill more of them. So if guar gum is used as a way to basically enhance your symptoms, On a SIBO protocol, what do you think that's doing when you're eating it every single day? So really your best bet, instead of getting caught up in the millions of different names for things and what does this mean? Is this okay? Is this not? Read your ingredients labels and stick for whole foods from the earth that you could make yourself. Stick to unprocessed foods. And if you don't know what something is, don't eat it. Shop on the outside perimeter of the grocery store and really pay attention to what's in everything. Even people go and buy meat or or salmon and they don't realize that there's flavors in there, some sugars added in. Read your ingredients. That is baseline. And then from there, we can get a little bit more finicky with diet and try different types of healing diets so that still isn't giving relief. So something like low FODMAP can be helpful for some people. You can search on the internet what a low FODMAP diet looks like for a specific food list because it's not something I can just explain on the podcast, but FODMAP stands for fermentable oligo dye monosaccharides and polyols, and these are types of carbohydrates that can trigger digestive issues in some people like bloating, gas, stomach pain, constipation, diarrhea, and there are different levels of FODMAPs in a wide variety of foods, so there's a big list that you can find on the internet, and I... You know, I have mixed feelings about low FODMAP. I think that, I know for some people it can be a game changer, but I think when people go on a very strict low FODMAP diet, it can be very stressful and it is an elimination diet. So you don't want to stay there forever. And I don't like to hop straight to it. I like to kind of take the most common offenders out first. So things like garlic and onions, for instance, those are FODMAPs that cause digestive issues in a lot of people. So I usually recommend if you have a sensitive stomach to eliminate those. Then we have things like cruciferous vegetables, which are notorious for being difficult to break down. So a lot of times I'll say, okay, let's see what happens if you take out the cruciferous vegetables. And kind of working in that direction, a low FODMAP diet um, is like mostly leafy greens and squashes and there are amounts that you can have for everything. So sometimes it's all about limits. And you might find this even without following a low FODMAP diet, for instance, but you might find that 
as you kind of play around with different foods, it's all in the amount. So with cruciferous vegetables, for instance, this is really common. So cruciferous vegetables like cauliflower, broccoli, Brussels sprouts, cabbage, kale, these foods, oftentimes people find that maybe they do okay with half a cup or a cup, but then more than that, they're super bloated. So finding your limits with different foods can be really helpful. And I kind of would suggest toying with if you're dealing with bloating getting or stomach pain, getting rid of the garlic and onions first. And just so you know, garlic and onions is pretty much in every restaurant. That's what they put in their food to make it taste good. But I would try seeing what happens if you eliminate those and then also toy with maybe less cruciferous vegetables or taking those out for a bit of time and just seeing how that feels for you. And then from there, you can go to a low FODMAP diet. My thing, though, with any of these elimination diets is people get really comfortable here forever. And remember, an elimination diet is meant to get you so that you don't have symptoms anymore and then add things back in so you can really figure out exactly what you do need to eliminate because we don't want to eliminate more than we have to, in my opinion. I mean, unless you just don't like food, but I just think... Why eliminate more than you need to for the sake of ease in life? Personally, an elimination diet that I like better because I'm personally biased because it it tends to work the best for me and I feel like it's less restrictive for most people is the specific carbohydrate diet. So again, this is restricting certain carbohydrates. So it is a paleo style diet and I think the list is a little bit easier to figure out. But the foods that you can't have are all different types of sugar, maple syrup, processed sugar, um, any grains, any canned vegetables, um, seaweed, starchy tubers like potatoes, sweet potatoes, turnips, um, processed meats, canola oil, vegetable oils, milk products, candy, chocolate, those types of things. And then you can basically eat, you know, any meat without additives. You can have um, any fresh vegetables, fresh fruits, most nuts and nut flowers, but there are certain nuts and seeds that you can't have, so they do have a list online. Um, you can have most you know, healthy cooking oils. Um, you can use honey as a sweetener. So again, this has just been used for different digestive issues, and it just seems that pe- you know people are sensitive to different types of carbohydrates, and it's about finding which ones work for your body and which ones don't. And again, this is why carnivore works for a lot of people because you're basically just taking out everything. It's like the ultimate elimination diet. You're taking out all the carbohydrates that could potentially give you digestive issues. But I'm not saying you have to go carnivore, although you could try it out if you want, but I would recommend following the Paul Saladino approach to the carnivore diet. But I really want this to be kind of an intro to where to start, and I don't really usually recommend people go straight to carnivore. I mean, unless you just want to go all for it. But, you know, low FODMAP, SCD, AIP is another great one if you have an autoimmune disease. But AIP, you can also look up the autoimmune paleo protocol on the internet. You're going to be eliminating eggs and nightshades. So nightshades include, you know, tomatoes and peppers, eggplants, potatoes, ashwagandha, certain certain spices. On AIP, you also eliminate nuts and seeds. 
basically anything that could potentially trigger inflammation. And this is great for people with autoimmune diseases and for people with digestive issues, this can help as well. But all of these different diets have have pros and cons because some of them include things that could still potentially cause gut issues and then exclude things that maybe don't. So for example, AIP, you could be eating a ton of cruciferous vegetables on that. And what if those get, make you bloated? You know, then that won't really give you maximum results. But for some people, let's say they, they need some more soluble fiber, they need some more starches to get their bowel movements going, and then they're on low FODMAP, that's not going to work because that really limits your sources of soluble fiber, eating a very low carbohydrate style diet. So this is just a few different elimination diets that you could look into. There are also other options like GAPS, lectin-free diet, the whole plant paradox diet. We can get into all of those, but I just don't always recommend people jump there. We're talking like, where do you start? And even getting into like low FODMAP and SCD is past just the baseline. I really want people to stick to a whole foods nutrient-dense diet and see how far that can take them rather than jumping into one of these strict elimination diets. Or just taking out the most common offenders is even usually helpful at first. And, and allow your body to lead you where you need to go. So maybe you start with a nutrient-dense paleo diet, and for a lot of people, that clears it up. If you still have more issues, maybe try taking out eggs and coffee, maybe nuts and seeds, um, maybe nightshades, cruciferous vegetables, and you'll see what is and isn't working for you. And if you start to already walk in a certain direction, then maybe that will lead you towards the right type of elimination diet for your body. But I do want to give a few other tips regarding gut health, specifically kind of overarching tips. So with macronutrients, first of all, what I would recommend is if you have any sort of idea where you're starting from, that can help. Because if you look at how you're eating right now, and if it's not working, then you obviously need to go in another direction. So what I see people doing over and over again is they just, you know, maybe they're eating a higher carbohydrate, uh, lower fat, lower protein diet, and they're just kind of doing different variations of that with different foods. Uh, you got to switch up your macros. So maybe you need to go lower carb and higher fat. Or somebody who's been, you know, keto or low carb for a really long time having digestive issues, maybe we need to bump things up in the opposite direction. So having an idea of where you're at can be really helpful. If you don't know where you're at, that's okay. I would say generally when somebody is bloated, I usually first would move them towards a lower carbohydrate approach. So this would mean like I'm, and I'm already assuming you're eating a whole foods-based diet, like a paleo-style diet. So this would mean, mean eating less fruit and less sweet potatoes and less plantains and less of those starchy vegetables and eating more of the leafy greens and the like squashes like zucchini, yellow squash, and cauliflower, broccoli, celery, cucumber, those types of foods, and higher fat. So that's usually what I would recommend if you're more bloated. But if somebody is, is bloated and they're already there, sometimes that person needs to move higher carb because they might be bloated if their body is really stressed out and taxed and their adrenals need some more carbohydrates. So that's why it helps to know where you're where you're starting from. But generally with bloating, people tend to do better with less carbohydrate because your gut might be 
feeding off of some bacteria going on in the gut. There might be some underlying dysbiosis happening. So that can help to start with a lower carbohydrate approach and healthier fats. And I want to just touch on really quickly some general recs if you are, let's go over constipation and diarrhea. Fun. With constipation, most often people who are constipated need more healthy fats in their diet. They need some lubrication. People don't realize how much extra fat they need to add in. So add in some extra olive oil, some extra coconut oil, whatever you like. Add in some healthier fats, even eating fattier meats. But that usually tends to help move things along. And a lot of people think they're eating high fat and they're not. Like having one tablespoon of fat with each of your meals isn't eating a high fat diet. That's just you have fat with your meals. That's not a high fat diet. You need to add more than that. There's a reason why people joke about MCT oil giving you disaster pants because if you consume too much, you will run to the bathroom with diarrhea because that fat is just (laughs) really going through you. So usually people need to increase their fat. Also, with constipation, it's usually about finding your carbohydrate sweet spot. So some people really need to reduce the carbohydrates, but some I find a lot of people who are kind of already into healthy eating and they're constipated might need to increase a little bit more and I like to focus more on the soluble fiber than the insoluble fiber so that's more of your starchy vegetables more of your root vegetables rather than your non-starchy leafy greens sometimes that insoluble fiber just kind of like scrape your intestines and not help you out so for some people um, with constipation, they need to go really high fat and really low carb, or there's a subset of people who need to increase their fats more, but also need to find the carb sweet spot, which tends to be between 75 to 150 grams for, for most people. And, um, again, there's variation here. I wish I could just tell you if you're constipated, eat, eat this macronutrient ratio, but it just doesn't work like that. Um, too much protein can be constipating for people as well. If you're eating a super high protein diet, that might be constipating you. If you if you eat, while well, I'm talking about protein, I should have mentioned this specifically before, if you are eating a lot of protein powder, even if you have protein powder every single day, that is a really common cause of bloating, constipation, inflammation, extra weight. I have so many clients and friends who all they do is get rid of their protein powder and they lose like 10 pounds in like three weeks. Because they lost all the inflammation and they're not bloated anymore. Not they're not holding onto water weight. Protein powders are processed food. I have a whole blog post on this. I recommend checking that out. But too much protein in general can be constipating. Food protein isn't found in nature without a fat or a carbohydrate attached to it. It's just not. There's no such thing as just like straight, literally straight protein. Um, it's it's not there. Like. In animals, there's fat on the animal. Or with nuts and seeds, like there's a combination of fat, protein, carbohydrate. So it's just the body doesn't do well with just straight protein. But too much protein can be pretty constipating. Cruciferous vegetables can be constipating as well. But I find more often than not, and people disagree on this, but I find more often than not, with constipation, it's usually that it's usually that there's something missing in the diet that needs to be there. And then with diarrhea, it's usually there's something in the diet that needs to not be there. <laughs> Sometimes it's vice versa, but that's just the trend I tend to see. And with constipation, it's usually we need more fat. 
We usually need more fat. Sometimes we need more carbs. Sometimes we need both. Also with constipation, I would check your magnesium intake. For a lot of people, they just need to increase their magnesium intake and that can help to move the bowels along. So supplementing with magnesium can help in many cases. A lot of people are deficient in magnesium anyways. Um, it can be hard to get enough from your food, so that can help as well. If you're constipated, I would check your magnesium and maybe supplement with that. Magnesium citrate will like will has a laxative effect. It will get your bowels moving. Um, magnesium glycinate is, I think, one of the better just overall. Magnesiums for every day, so you want to find your happy medium with magnesium. I like the. Designs for Health, Magnesium Buffered Chelate, and if you have diarrhea and you're taking magnesium, you might want to pull back on the magnesium. If you're taking Natural Calm, I don't recommend it. I find that can cause a lot of digestive upset and the sourcing is suspicious, so I would get a capsule form of magnesium or topical magnesium. And with diarrhea, if you are taking vitamin C capsules, that could also cause that, so you might be taking too much vitamin C. But let's go back to food for a sec. So with diarrhea, that's a really common sign of eating a food that you are intolerant to. Also, nuts, seeds, coffee, I would say are usually the biggest offenders there. So usually when people have really bad diarrhea, I tell them to get rid of the nuts and seeds and coffee. There's sometimes just too much fiber as well, too much insoluble fiber. So again, that can be really rough on the digestive tract. So those are the top things I would recommend. And if you have, if you have diarrhea, maybe if you're eating a high fat diet with diarrhea, decrease the fat a little bit. If you have diarrhea, maybe increase your protein intake a little bit. Also, definitely watch your coffee caffeine intake with diarrhea, but usually with diarrhea, that can indicate a food sensitivity. So maybe you're eating something in your diet that your body does not like it wants to get out. Now, I want to be clear about food sensitivities, and I feel like recently this whole idea of food sensitivities has gotten really popular. I know there are all these at-home food sensitivity tests, which most of them are total bullshit, um, so I don't recommend jumping to that. If you want my thoughts on food sensitivity tests, you can check out my blog post about food sensitivity tests, or I recommend listening to my podcast with Margaret Floyd on the subject, but... Food sensitivities are a symptom. There is something underlying going on. And so sometimes our body becomes sensitive to a food because we need to support the overall state of our gut. And so a big reason why a lot of people have gut issues is not only because they're maybe eating a poor diet, but usually this can indicate that somebody has intestinal permeability, commonly known as leaky gut. Now, I don't really care what the statistics are about leaky gut. I've heard people say 60% of the population. I've heard 80%. I think most people have it. If you followed the standard American diet at some point, you probably have it. If you have taken a lot of antibiotics or just medications in your life, you probably have it. But leaky gut is one of the most common causes of gut issues and just health issues in general. This can cause everything from bloating, constipation, diarrhea, acne, anxiety, mental health issues. There are so many different things it can cause. But what does this mean? It basically means that, well, when you have a leaky gut, the lining of your intestine is compromised. So the microvilli on your intestinal wall, that's what absorbs the nutrients from your food. Um, 
that becomes damaged. So when your gut is damaged like that, the particles can sort of leak through the tiny holes in your delicate intestinal wall. That intestinal wall is supposed to be sealed up. So a gut lining that is nice and sealed, completely healed, that will help to keep extra particles from getting into the bloodstream that aren't meant to be there. But when you have a leaky gut, you can get food particles, bacteria, toxins, other substances can slip through that gut lining, get into your bloodstream, and then this causes inflammation throughout the body, an inflammatory response, an immune response. And that can manifest in a variety of ways, including the bloating, the constipation, the diarrhea, food intolerances, can manifest as skin issues, brain fog, mood issues, memory, autoimmunity, and so on. What's happening is your body is recognizing a foreign invader in the bloodstream. It knows it's not supposed to be there, and then it alerts your immune system so that your body can fight that invader. Um, and the body can start to recognize that what should be just a healthy food as, you know, this this foreign invader. So this is how people become sensitive to perfectly healthy foods like broccoli or salmon or things like that. So the approach in this case is to get to the root cause of the food sensitivities, and the root cause would be to heal and seal the gut. And there are a number of things, like I mentioned before, that can cause leaky gut, but this includes inflammatory foods, processed foods, refined sugar, artificial flavoring, gluten, corn, soy, conventional sources of dairy, vegetable oils, alcohol, all of those types of foods can contribute to leaky gut, as well as food allergens in general, glyphosate exposure, smoking, different gut infections, including SIBO and candida, parasites, having low stomach acid, using antibiotics, using NSAIDs like Advil, Tylenol, birth controller, over-the-counter products, prescription products like PPIs, chronic stress, over-exercising, all of these can cause leaky gut, but really an inflammatory diet is one of the, the main causes, stress as well. But this tends to be the main root cause of gut issues and these food sensitivities. So like I said, you know, you can take foods out of your diet, but that doesn't necessarily mean you are addressing the root cause. It's just symptom management. So when people do these different diets, you know, sometimes they do help to heal, but oftentimes they are only getting you so far. They're helping to heal to some extent because you're taking out the inflammatory foods and allowing your body to repair if it can. But sometimes food can only take you so far, and on some level, it tends to be symptom management. Like, I see this a lot with low FODMAP, where people go on low FODMAP, they'll feel way better, and they just stay there. And I'm like, okay, but why are you sensitive to all those FODMAPs? Some of them might be legitimate, just you just can't tolerate certain foods, but a lot of those foods you could probably add back in if you supported the function of your digestive system to begin with, you supported the health of your digestive tract. And that is really what needs to happen. So what do we do from here? First of all, if you want more information about leaky gut intestinal permeability, you can head to my blog. I have a blog post all about the signs and causes of intestinal permeability. And I also, if you're a member of my website, I have my full leaky gut protocol that I use with clients to help them heal their guts. But let me give you the main points to take away if you want to heal your gut. You need to be, first of all, eating a very clean, paleo, nutrient-dense diet, avoiding all of the refined sugars and vegetable oils, processed foods, caffeine, additives, gums and flavors, sugars, all of that, and also avoiding any potential medications that could be contributing to leaky gut, like the over-the-counter meds, prescription, um, 
you know, birth control, antibiotics, yada, yada. And then making sure to emphasize certain superfoods like coconut oil, bone broth, collagen, if you can tolerate them, fermented foods, wild-caught oily fish, leafy greens, all of those superfoods. Liver is awesome too. But when it comes to healing the gut in general, one of the most important things to include is L-glutamine. L-glutamine, the amino acid L-glutamine, is really key for supporting your gut health and healing leaky gut. And while it can be found in food sources, really to fix it, you usually want to supplement with L-glutamine. So that can be a game-changing product. You also want to make sure you have some zinc, which is crucial for repairing the gut lining, as well as a high-quality probiotic. This can be a game-changer. Even if you don't have a leaky gut, this is one of the supplements I really recommend everybody has in their routine because this is great not only for gut health, but also immunity and mental health, recovery, skin health. I mean, the health of your body is rooted in the health of your gut. So having a high-quality probiotic is key, and this is why I love the Just Thrive probiotic. You guys hear me talk about it all the time, and that has been shown in clinical trials to start to help heal leaky gut in just 30 days. Whether or not you have leaky gut, though, this can be a game-changer. So I really recommend if you have digestive issues, make sure you're on a high-quality probiotic. And make sure you listen to my podcast with Karan Krishnan about probiotics. I also have another podcast coming out relatively soon with Tina Anderson about probiotics because I would rather you not take any probiotic than take a crappy one from the store because most of the ones at the store are crappy. And this is why I say just get Just Thrive because I love that one. I also love Megaspore, which is their sister probiotic. You can get through my full script if you like if you go to my website and you can use me as your practitioner under full script. That's only through practitioners, which is why it's on there. Just Thrive is available to everybody. You can go to bit.ly slash Thrive Probiotic CRW and my code Christina15, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A-1-5 will get you 15% off. But that's a probiotic I take every single day. And this is a game changer. You really want to make sure you have a soil-based probiotic with spore-forming bacteria because that will bypass the small intestine and actually be able to colonize in your large intestine. It will make it there alive. Quality is key and taking just one of the ones from the store, it can cause you more harm than good. You're also probably throwing away your money. So I'd rather you take nothing than take one that's subpar. And I there aren't any at the store that I really recommend. There are other great probiotics um, and uses for different ones, but just for general health for most people, I say go for the Just Thrive. I use other probiotics depending on different um health struggles people are working with, but in general, if you have digestive issues, I would take the Just Thrive probiotic. And then as I mentioned before, collagen, gelatin, bone broth, getting that in the diet can really help to heal the lining of the gut. On the topic of supplementation, if you have digestive issues, I highly recommend including digestive enzymes in your life. They will help you out a lot. You just take one before a meal and this will help provide your body with the enzymes needed to help break down food. This can be a game changer for people. It's really simple and it's not going to do you any harm, especially if it's a bigger meal. I highly recommend getting digestive enzymes. I think everybody should have these on them, no matter who they are, but especially if you have gut issues, you might need to be taking them with every single meal until things calm down and your body probably needs some of that support and enzymes to help break it down. So there are quite a few great digestive enzyme brands. Um, I have some linked to my full script. I really like the critical digestion from Enzyme Science. If you have like 
major gut issues. That tends to be a very strong digestive enzyme that works really well for people. Um, also, Digest Gold can be good. I know Pure Encapsulations has some. Thorn has some great ones. I love the doTERRA one. So there are plenty of options for digestive enzymes. And with digestive enzymes, some you know people notice some work better for them than others. Personally, I tend to, with my clients, always recommend the Critical Digestion or the Digest Gold or the Terrazyme from doTERRA. Now, some other basic supplements that are good to have in your back pocket that are just very kind of neutral is I really recommend having peppermint capsules or peppermint essential oil. Um, I only use doTERRA essential oils because they are 100% pure and tested for quality. And if you are going to Whole Foods and picking up an essential oil there, I wouldn't trust it. It's probably cut and not the pure oil. You're not going to get the same benefits. And I don't think it's safe to ingest. I would, I, I would never ingest any oil other than doTERRA. Um, I used to use another brand that's popular that I thought was pure. And then I found out some of the science and now I only personally use doTERRA based on my own research. Um, and I wouldn't feel comfortable ingesting anything else. Peppermint can be a game changer for digestion as can ginger. So even just, you know, after meals, having a cup of peppermint tea or ginger tea can really help with the digestion or some hot lemon water. That can be a really great, easy thing to add into your day. But I love having peppermint essential oil on hand, but in particular, Digest Zen is a blend from doTERRA that almost all of my clients with gut issues absolutely love. So this comes, it comes in capsule form, but I don't recommend the capsule form. I recommend getting the straight essential oil and then also getting empty veggie caps from doTERRA. And there are different ways to take the digest zen. You could just rub it on your stomach if you have an upset stomach, or you can ingest it. You can dilute it in some water. Some people love the taste. If you don't love the taste, it has kind of a licorice taste. If you don't like the taste, um, then you could put it in the empty veggie caps and digest it that way. But digestin, if you have any type of upset stomach like this, you need to just have this in your inner toolkit. Seriously, if you are bloated, if your stomach hurts, like I would get the digestin and that can really help calm things down. And then, you know, having some the tea, some warm water, that can really help as well. But that's just a basic thing to have in your back pocket. I think that in general, digestive enzymes, a probiotic, some peppermint capsules or peppermint essential oils, like have them. If you are here, have them. Ginger capsules as well can be really helpful. So same idea. You can do ginger essential oil um, put into empty veggie caps or they have ginger caps. I usually, what is the brand? Um, Nature's Way. I have a big bottle of these that if my, if I'm like, if I eat something and I'm so bloated, I'll just take some ginger caps too, and that can help out a lot. But that these things are more like if this if it comes up, you have a tool, but we really want to work on getting to the root cause. You can't just, you know, be managing your symptoms such your whole life. You know, you can't just be avoiding every food and like taking peppermint caps and and ginger capsules like forever to manage things like let's get to the problem so you don't have to depend on those things and you don't have to take a digestive enzyme with every meal you know so really getting to the root of the dysfunction which is why if you have leaky gut focusing on that can be an absolute game changer but there are two other main issues i see regarding dysfunction like these are kind of the most the most common things so when people come to me with the gut issues there are th three 
very common, relatively basic things that I always want to make sure we have in check. So the leaky gut, one. Another one is having low stomach acid. This is very common. Definitely one of the most common root causes of the digestive issues I see. So what's going on here? The stomach has to be really acidic in order to fully break down your food, especially protein. So your HCL is really going to help break down your protein so that you can absorb it properly. So if you don't have enough hydrochloric acid in your stomach, you can also become deficient in vitamins and minerals because you're not absorbing your food. So pepsinogen is an enzyme that's going to break down and digest your protein. And that enzyme only starts to digest protein in the presence of HCL. So if you don't have the HCL, you're not going to get that enzyme. So we don't have enough enzymes, can't break down our food. And this can lead to bloating, constipation, yada, yada. Stomach acid is also key just for sterilizing the food and killing off any gut microbes. So that's why another reason why low stomach acid can also lead to microbial overgrowth. So if your food isn't sterilized, if you're not breaking it down all the way, it can try and go through your digestive tract and it might have microbes on it. It might just, you know, if it's not digested, it can ferment in the system and lead to bacterial overgrowth. Having enough stomach acid also helps us stimulate the release of bile from the gallbladder, which helps us break down our fats, and digestive enzymes from the pancreas. It closes the esophageal sphincter, and it opens the pyloric sphincter, which is why if you don't have enough stomach acid, this can actually lead to heartburn, GERD, those types of issues. A lot of people think that if they have heartburn, that means that they don't have enough stomach acid, but it usually means it's too low of stomach acid. So usually if you um, take some HCL capsules, supplement with apple cider vinegar, things like that. That can really help to improve your stomach acid levels and get rid of the heartburn. But HCL production, like the amount of stomach acid we have, really plays a huge role in the overall digestive process because if you don't have enough, it's not going to stimulate enough bile. You won't have your digestive enzymes. Your esophageal sphincter won't, won't close when it needs to, all these different things. So it really is this downstream effect. So that's why low stomach acid can lead to heartburn and IBD and bloating, constipation and SIBO, skin issues, malabsorption, constant hunger, or even no appetite at all. So those are some of the symptoms of low stomach acid. You might feel hungry all the time. So some people, if they feel like they're eating enough food and enough protein and they're just like, I'm starving all the time. Well, if their body's not digesting that protein and not able to break it down, then they'll never feel full. Or the opposite. Sometimes you have a really like low appetite. You feel like you can't eat anything. Or this is a lot of times people will tell me, I just don't digest animal products. Well, like I just can't digest them. Well yeah, you probably don't have enough stomach acid to do so. And if you're not digesting and absorbing your proteins, then this can lead to nutrient deficiencies. It can lead to anemia, chronic fatigue, mood imbalances, because you're not getting all of the amino acids from your protein. Like I mentioned before, the acne, skin conditions like eczema, psoriasis, hives. It can also coexist with autoimmune disease. And what lowers stomach acid? Well, first of all, it does decline as we get older, just naturally, which explains why a lot of older people just don't really have much of an appetite. But it also gets lower because of stress a lot. So stress is a huge one. Chlorine and fluoride can lower stomach acid. Chronic use of antacids can also deplete your stomach acid. But it's also like a chicken and the egg situation. Like if you have nutrient deficiencies, this can also cause low stomach acid, like low levels of zinc or B vitamins. 
but consuming alcohol, smoking, just any stress around the body can really do this. And that includes like physical stress too. Overtraining can do it, emotional stress, overusing the antibiotics, H. pylori, the NSAIDs, the proton pump inhibitors, like any acid blockers are actually making the issue worse. It's so sad with heartburn how people get put on acid blockers and that's just making their heartburn worse in the long run because it's suppressing their stomach acid and that's actually the cause. So in the moment, it might help, but long term, it's actually making the problem much, much worse because usually those people need to have more stomach acid. SIBO. So this is another, you know, is it this is it the small intestinal bacterial overgrowth causing low stomach acid or is the low stomach acid causing the SIBO? But they do tend to come hand in hand. And also the food sensitivities are pretty common with the low stomach acid. So how do we work on the low stomach acid? Well, first of all, we avoid all those things that I just said can can cause it. We eat a healthy whole foods based diet. There are certain superfoods for helping to improve stomach acid. So fermented vegetables can help a lot, but foods like turmeric, ginger, okra, artichoke, and foods high in your essential fatty acids. Bitter greens can be helpful. Dandelion greens, arugula, radicchio, endive, they can help to stimulate the digestive process. Manuka honey has also been shown to really help. But the real superfood here is apple cider vinegar. This is amazing. So I really recommend incorporating it into your diet as much as you can. If you have low stomach acid, you always want to dilute it as well. But you can use it as salad dressing, cook with it, put it in water. I like to just drink warm water um, with apple cider vinegar. So this is another easy way. I like to start my day with a cup of warm water with one to two tablespoons of apple cider vinegar and maybe some lemon juice. I... I like to just have ACV straight in the water, but if you don't like the taste, I would add in some lemon juice too to help stimulate your digestive juices. It can also really help to take a tablespoon of apple cider vinegar diluted in water about 15 to 20 minutes before your meals. This can help to stimulate the digestive process. You also want to make sure you're consuming enough sea salt because sea salt contains chloride, which is half of the hydrochloride that you need to get your stomach acid going. Healing your gut in general is really helpful. And then digestive bitters. These are an amazing remedy. So I, this is another one that I recommend people have in their back pocket. So digestive bitters have been used for centuries to help with digestion. You take these about 10 to 15 minutes before your meal. My absolute favorite ones are the non-alcoholic cider vinegar bitters from Urban Moonshine, but there are lots of different digestive bitters out there. They are bitter, but they do do their job. So for most people, I would say get some bitters to really help incorporate ACB as much as possible. If your stomach acid is really low, you might have to supplement with hydrochloric acid supplements, some HCL capsules. If you are a member on my website, I have blog posts for members that go in depth about healing leaky gut, healing low stomach acid, how to dose your hydrochloric acid supplements. But hydrochloric acid supplements can be really helpful. You want to make sure you find the right dose for your body. So you do not want to feel, if you're feeling a burning sensation, you need to go one lower in dosage. If you're not feeling anything, you probably need that amount. But hydrochloric acid supplements can help a lot to kind of kickstart things. I recommend taking these, especially with every meal that contains protein, take them mid-meal with your food. Okay, and then the third most common thing is 
struggling with the digestion of fats. A lot of people don't feel like they're digesting their fats well, or they might not even notice that they're not digesting their fats well. So if your liver is congested, that can make it really hard to synthesize good bile in the first place. If your liver is just clogged up, then the quality of your bile will decrease, which can lead to another potential problem, which is bad bile to begin with. So here's what you have to understand is that the liver is going to synthesize bile. It's going to package up any hormones or toxins that need to leave the body. And then those are put into the bile. Then the bile is sent to the gallbladder where it's stored. And then when we eat a meal that has fat in it, bile is secreted into our small intestine and that bile helps to break down the fat. So we need this bile to break down the fat. This helps us to absorb the fat and then the toxins in the bile will exit the body through your poop and that also tells the pancreas to secrete digestive enzymes into the small intestine which we talked about before and then those will further help us break down and absorb the fat in our meals. The digestive system is awesome because kind of everything stimulates everything else so it all works like a big symphony. So if you're not producing enough bile, this can be a problem. Or if your bile is thick and sticky, it's not going to move very well through the body. It's going to be hard for the gallbladder to squeeze out in the first place. And if that happens, then toxins and old hormones that are meant to leave the body can get reabsorbed. Another reason why someone might not be able to digest their fats very well is if they don't have enough pancreatic enzymes, which, like I said before, help to digest the fat along with the bile. A lot of people have trouble digesting fats because they grew up following a lower fat diet or they spent a period of time following a diet that was low in fat. Because remember, it's the presence of fat in a meal that's going to tell the gallbladder to release the bile into the small intestine. So if someone's following a low fat diet, then the gallbladder is not going to get the signal to release that bile. The bile can sit in the gallbladder, gets thick and sludgy. And then if the bile gets too thick, then the body learns it doesn't really need to make any more since it's not being used. So your body will downregulate its production. And then if somebody later on does eat a higher fat meal that tries to trigger the release of the bile, the gallbladder can't squeeze it out because it's gotten so thick and sludgy and sticky. So then the fat passes through your digestive tract undigested. Your body can't make use of those healthy fats for your bodily functions. Those fats are used for hormones to protect the cells, to help with communication between cells, protecting our organs, supporting our brain. So many different processes in the body. So a lot of people who notice they don't digest fats very well decide that they're just going to avoid eating fat. And then (laughs) that is actually just making the issue worse. So if you avoid eating fat, then you're just avoiding the side effect of the dysfunction. We want to get to the root of the dysfunction and support your fat digestion so you can eat healthy fats. So what are some signs of fat malabsorption? It can manifest as like pain and discomfort after eating fat or feeling really nauseous after eating a lot of fat. So a lot of people who tell me they feel nauseous after eating, I want to look at their fat malabsorption. Um, It can also cause hormone imbalances because you need those healthy fats to support the hormones and also get rid of any old ones when we, you know, secrete our bile. If you have gallbladder pain, gallstones, constipation, diarrhea, constant hunger, if you're hungry all the time, probably not digesting properly. If you notice that 
your stool is floating or it's greasy, it's smelly, it's really light in color, or you get gas or burping after meals, that can be a sign as well as if you have really dry skin because healthy fats can help to keep our skin really hydrated and supple. Um, You might also feel brain fog, fatigue, mood problems, headaches, blood sugar dysregulation, um, a hard time managing your weight. This can all be rooted in fat malabsorption. So what do we do to support that dysfunction, to make the body function properly? Again, so we have to retrain the body so that your bile isn't so thick and sludgy. So we want to slowly increase your healthy fat intake. If you increase your fats too quickly, you'll probably feel pretty nauseous and you'll feel those negative side effects. So you want to start with a very small amount of fat with each meal. So wherever you're starting at, just increase a little bit each there. And it can also help to start with coconut oil, which is the easiest fat to digest. Because of its fatty acid composition, it's actually absorbed without bile. So that's a great way to increase your fat intake if you're coming from a low-fat diet. But you do want to consume the coconut oil with other oils, not just coconut oil. Because again, if you do just coconut oil, you will never really stimulate bile production um, or you know, the release of bile. So it can help to have a little bit of coconut oil with a little bit of an extra fat, like a different type of healthy fat, maybe an olive oil um, or an avocado oil or avocado, whatever healthy fat you want to include alongside the coconut oil. So that can help to increase the amount of healthy fats in your diet while not stressing the system too much. So, you know, these healthy fats, again, we're talking about things like extra virgin olive oil, avocado oil, coconut oil, um, grass-fed ghee, nuts and seeds, pastured eggs, um, grass-fed meat, wild-caught fish, all of that. We are not talking about including things like those inflammatory oils like canola oil, soybean oil, safflower oil, grapeseed oil, none of those vegetable oils because that can actually worsen the issue. Another thing besides slowly increasing healthy fat intake that can help is to supplement with ox bile. That can really help to improve fat digestion and absorption. Ox bile is really similar to human bile, so it can help your body learn how to break down your fats more easily. Ox bile isn't a forever supplement unless you don't have a gallbladder, but it can really help to push your body in the right direction. In terms of food support, fermented foods can be great, Beets are one of the best foods you can eat to support your liver and your gallbladder. Um, Also, bitter greens, the arugula, the dandelion greens, the mustard greens, lemons and limes can help, cruciferous vegetables like your broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts, ginger, ACV, cilantro, parsley, these all help to support the liver and gallbladder. And again, I feel like these these things all go hand in hand. So the digestive enzymes, the liver gallbladder support, which is typically the ox bile and supporting your hydrochloric acid production, and then also healing your leaky gut. They all go hand in hand. So if you are doing all this in terms of supplementation, um, diet at some point, and you're still having digestive issues, that is the point at which You would want to get tested for any underlying dysbiosis, so potentially small intestinal bacterial overgrowth or, you know, maybe candida, that's a yeast overgrowth, or some other type of bacterial overgrowth in the intestine. Um, That's when you would go and get tested and see if there's another underlying issue, in which case a practitioner will guide you through a protocol with the proper supplementation. But that is 
like we don't need to jump there. We need to support the basic function of the gut. And I'm already getting into higher level things here with those those different um, root causes. But that's, I mean, we want to start with nutrition and then kind of build our way up. And people just jump ahead 30, 40, 50 steps for no reason. Like let's support baseline first. So in terms of just basics for people, nutrition on point, in terms of supplements, digestive enzymes, good probiotic, some type of digestive support, like in terms of, I would say, the peppermint capsules or the digestin or ginger capsules, digestive bitters to support your hydrochloric acid. Even if you don't have low HCL, that can help for just in general, if you're going to eat a meal with a lot of protein like or just a really big meal in general, it can help to have the bitters and the uh, digestive enzymes. And then if the fat malabsorption specifically is an issue, an ox bile supplement can help. But don't you dare go jumping to those supplements prior to having changed your diet first. And then again, from there, if there's underlying dysbiosis, that could be like if you're doing all this and you still have other issues, you might need to get tested and there might be something else deeper going on. But people like to jump to, I'm bloated, I have SIBO. And I'm like, whoa. Maybe you might, you might, but like, let's do all this other stuff first, which you're going to have to do anyways. And that could get you really great improvement. And then it might even clear things up for you. And again, I have my full protocols for improving your fat digestion and addressing fat malabsorption for healing leaky gut for improving your stomach acid levels. All of that is on the membership section of my website. If you are a member on my website. Like I literally share the exact protocols I give with my clients. All my favorite supplements. Also in my full script, which if you just go to my website, christinaricewellness.com slash shop, you go to my full script account. Um, I have my favorites. Like I, I've labeled them by just like everyday support, um, digestive support, hormone balancing, all of that. So like this episode, all my favorite products are in the digestive support section. And I really do recommend ordering your supplements either directly from the company themselves or from somewhere like Fullscript that's through practitioners only because I'm sure I've mentioned this in other podcasts, but a lot of the supplements on Amazon, you don't know if they are legit. So people will put sell supplements on there and they're like not the correct pills. They might change the pills in there. They might be placebo or just people are just trying to make money. You don't necessarily know where they're coming from. That's happened to me. I've opened up a supplement bottle and I, I was like, this is not the right pill, which is pretty scary. So just to make sure you're getting the highest quality um, and the correct thing, because you could, you don't want to be ingesting something that's not, not good for you. Um, that's what I would say is get it from a reputable source. If you are starting to include any new supplements in your in your routine, always check with your practitioner. Remember, this is not medical advice. This is not medical advice. This is not diagnosis or treatment. This is just recommendations for what I like to do. And anytime you want to incorporate something new into your routine, check with your practitioner and make sure it's good with whatever else is going on with your situation and that there's no contraindications. Especially in terms of, you know, if you really want to heal your gut, um, looking into any medications you're on, birth control, anything like anything that, any PPIs or even over the counter. If you're, if you want to stop something to help heal your gut, do not just do that yourself. Like tell your doctor, 
um, and let them know what you want to do and they will guide you through that process. Because there are, there can be ne- very negative repercussions of just taking yourself off of certain things without doing it properly. Um, so don't get into that pickle. Okay, and then I want to address a few lifestyle things that everybody needs to incorporate if you have digestive issues. So first of all, let's start with like the mealtime situation. With the mealtime situation, if you are struggling to digest food, if you're bloated a lot, it can really help to focus on cooked vegetables. So avoiding any raw raw vegetables and cooking food down can be much easier on the digestive system. So I really recommend focusing on cooked vegetables that have been softened up and the cellulose has been broken down. And we need to look at how you are eating your meals. So first of all, are you eating standing up? Are you on the go? Are you rushing? Your body is not in the parasympathetic state. And the body needs to be in that parasympathetic rest and digest state to be able to digest your food properly. So if you're always on the go, if you're stressed out, your body can't digest. So when we sit down, we want to be relaxed. We want to take a few deep breaths. I like to eat on the floor because this helps to put me in the parasympathetic state. Something about getting on the floor that just puts you right in there. If you are on the go, you're not going to digest your food. You're probably not going to chew enough either, which we'll get to in a second, but you want to be calm. So whatever makes you calm, do that. I know people say, don't have any distractions. Don't watch TV. I say you need to do what calms you down. So if watching a TV show is stressful for you and you know you're not paying attention to how or what you eat and you um, like are really tense because you're watching Game of Thrones and someone's head is getting sliced off, then that's probably not the best choice. So avoid the distractions. But if you, you know, are watching something that relaxes you, makes you feel good, you're still able to be very present. I wouldn't worry about it. Um, I just want you to focus on, tune in and be honest, like what is putting me into that relaxed parasympathetic state so that I can digest my food. When your body is in fight or flight, and a lot of people don't even realize that their bodies are in fight or flight, your body is putting digestion on hold and you are going to get bloated from that. That's why I love just like taking five deep breaths before eating and eating on the floor when I can. The next part is chewing. This one is a game changer for people. So if you are not chewing your food 30 to 40 times, that's what you need to do. Every bite. I know you're like, holy shit, that's a lot of chewing. That's what you have to do. I'm serious. This will make you feel fuller too. You might be overeating. Make sure you're chewing your food enough. You're breaking it down. Digestion begins in the mouth. As we chew, we're obviously helping to break down our food so that it's easier on the body as the food goes through the rest of the digestive tract. But also, chewing stimulates the release of certain enzymes that can help break down your food. In your mouth specifically, carbohydrate digestion is going to is going to start there because salivary amylase is released as we are chewing. Amylase is produced by the salivary glands. That's going to break down your carbohydrates. And this seems like something like too simple to be true, but I am not joking when I tell you I have people who like are so bloated all the time and all they change is that they chew their food 30 to 40 times, which feels very weird at first. Your food is like mush in your mouth. It should be like basically liquid and um, it takes, it'll take you longer. Um, 
put your fork down in between bites, but it helps break things down so much. You usually have better satiety signals and that alone can get rid of people's bloating and there are other digestive issues that come from that as well. So make sure you're chewing your food. I can't emphasize it enough. The other thing I want to talk about is water intake. So first of all, just in general, for digestion, it's best to consume in general just room temperature water, even warmer water. Cold water can make things tense up, you know, but making sure you're getting enough water, but also not too much. So I recommend half your body weight in ounces about that. If you eat a whole foods diet that's or all the foods are very rich in water, you could probably get away with less water, but drinking too much water can cause digestive issues and not drinking enough obviously can cause digestive issues. So you want to make sure that you have plenty of water to stay hydrated and help your digestion flow, but you also want to be more so sipping throughout the day if you are focusing on digestive health and avoiding water close to meals or with meals. A lot of people drink water with their meals and they use it to swallow down their food. No, that is just, you need to chew your food. Don't use your water to force it down. Um, Also, when you're adding water into the mix, this can dilute your stomach acid to an extent. It just, it's making things more complicated. We want everything to be as concentrated as possible. So I recommend stopping drinking water about 15 to 30 minutes before and after your meals. Just focus on just your food at mealtimes and then sip your water in between. But if you're drinking like four ounces of water a day and you're constipated, or if you're drinking a lot of caffeinated beverages and not overcompensating with your water, you need to like really bump up the intake to help things move through because caffeinated beverages are going to dehydrate you. So you're going to need to drink more water. If your MO is having black tea all day, you are dehydrating yourself. (laughs) So get in enough water. Again, if you are, let's say you're 140 pounds, then half of that's going to be 70. So getting in 70 ounces of water a day. 70 ounces of water. We're not talking about caffeinated drinks or juices or sports drinks. We want water. There are a few other things that can contribute a lot to digestive issues, especially bloating. And so one thing is sleep. People really underestimate this, but getting in enough sleep every night can have a huge effect on how bloated you are. So if you're chronically sleep deprived, then that could be a root cause of why you're bloated all the time. If you dedicate yourself to getting eight hours of sleep every night, this can be a game changer for you. I notice this myself. If I have a couple days or a week where I'm not getting enough sleep, I am so much more bloated. This can make a huge difference. So if you're bloated, make sure you are getting plenty of rest. This has to do with if your body is chronically stressed, it's going to shut down your digestive system, basically. Your body is in that flight or flight response, and it won't digest things properly. It's focusing on all of the other processes in the body that are more important, that are there for survival, and you I mean, we think about fight or flight state versus rest and digest. When you're in the fight or flight state, you don't need to be digesting food if you're trying to run away from the tiger. That's how the body thinks. So chronic stress can be a main cause of bloating. So this is why if you're not getting enough sleep, this can cause bloating, as well as just life stress in general. 
if I'm going through a really stressful time with work, just extra workload, something in my personal life, I tend to get more bloated. And I find this a lot with other people as well. And even not just bloating, other digestive issues. So, you know, I'll have clients come to me and they're like, everything was going so well. And I don't know what happened this week. I am bloated. I'm constipated. And I'm like, what happened this week? Did you just have a huge test? Is work really stressful? Did you have a fight with somebody? And there's almost always like an emotional stressor that caused that. And they really as oh same with you know traveling is a stress on the body this is why a lot of people have trouble with quality digestion when they're traveling any type of stressor on the body can cause those things so it's about getting into that rest and digest state taking lots of deep breaths meditating managing your life stress in general getting enough sleep that can make a huge difference and this is also going to be related to exercise so getting in the right amount of movement and the right type for your body is really key here. If you are overtraining, this can cause constipation, diarrhea, bloating. If you are doing too much exercise, that can cause a lot of digestive issues. On the flip side, if you're not getting in any movement, then that could be the reason why you have digestive problems as well. So going on walks is really great. Yoga, body twists, that can help a lot with digestion. For some people, doing types of cardio really helps move things along. For others, it can give them diarrhea. Like, I think we all know the the running jokes. But this all boils down to like stressors on the body. Putting too much of a stressor on your body, if you're working out too many days a week, this can cause your, your intestines to kind of tighten up, so to speak, and cause bloating, constipation. Um, if you are not getting any movement though, you want to get movement in throughout the day and just in general to help stimulate peristalsis and keep your digestion flowing. This is why, you know, starting your day off with some movement can be really nice. Something I also want to mention in terms of meal timing, um, with bloating or constipation, dysbiosis, it, if you do struggle with gut issues, I think it can definitely help to try and stop eating a few hours before bedtime. Um, this isn't an issue. You know, people say don't eat before bed because they think they're going to gain weight. And that's not really the issue. I mean, <laughs> um, well, this that's a bigger topic. But just in terms of digestion, it can help to um, eat your dinner and leave a few hours until bedtime because the digestive process does take a lot of energy. So you want your body to be able to focus on that. And then when you're asleep, you don't want your body busy trying to digest when it needs to repair all the other parts of your body. Because when we are asleep, that's really when we are getting the most cellular repair. Our bodies are restoring at night and there are so many other processes that it needs to be focusing on. So you don't want it diverting energy towards digestion. There's also this, there is a gravity component to digestion. So if you're eating a ton of food and just immediately lying horizontal, it's going to be harder for your body to kind of move through your digestive tract. Um, It's going to go slower and that can increase the likelihood of fermentation if things get stuck. It's pretty common for people to notice that if they just eat dinner a little bit earlier, like if they're used to eating right before they go to bed, like a whole meal right before they go to bed and they're bloated and then they notice if they eat earlier that they don't wake up bloated anymore. So that's something to look into as well. 
I also am a fan of leaving four to six hours in between your meals, not being a snacker all day long. The reason for this is something called the migrating motor complex, also known as the MMC. And this is the body's four-phase process. It's going to help to clean out the digestive tract. So you have small muscles throughout your intestines that contract and they're going to push leftover food particles, bacterial and other microbiota away from the intestinal wall. They're going to help those undigested food particles leave the stomach and small intestine eventually reach the colon. So those muscles contracting pushes things through. So the MMC is really important for making sure that you don't have leftover food just sitting in your digestive tract because that can lead to fermentation, dysbiosis, yada yada. What's important to understand is that the MMC will only start three hours after we eat food. And like I said, it's a four-phase process, really more like three though because there is like a resting phase. And the length of time the MMC takes is different for different people and it's going to depend on what's in the meal, the person's mental state while eating. Usually about half of the meal has left the stomach about two and a half to three hours after it's been eaten and then it might take another hour or two to be completely empty. But since the MMC starts about three hours after a meal and a single cycle is going to last about 90 minutes, then you really want to leave at least about four and a half hours in between meals, maybe an extra half hour to give yourself some wiggle room, which is why eating larger meals that keep you satisfied for longer so you can have more time in between each. So maybe three or four square meals leaving like four to six hours in between, ideally five. And then also trying to make sure we can get two full cycles of the MMC in while we are asleep. So, you know, not snacking in the middle of the night. There are benefits in terms of digestion to have, quote, fasting periods. You don't have to, like, do a fast, but giving yourself little mini, quote, intermittent fasts in between your meals can be really helpful to allow the MMC to go through. Because if you eat too soon, then you are going to inhibit the MMC from doing its job. Because, again, the MMC is only going to start about three hours after we eat food. So let's say you eat and then you wait two hours and you eat again, you wait two hours and you eat again. This doesn't allow the MMC to make a full cleansing wave and you could just be like food could be and bacteria could be building up in your intestines. And when it's building up, it cause bloating, higher likelihood of dysbiosis, constipation, none of the fun stuff. So that is a tip regarding meal timing. Those are my tips. If you are having digestive issues, start with these things. These are all low-hanging fruits. If you incorporate just a few of them, you will notice a huge improvement in your health. I really caution you against, you know, there are so many of these tests you can take now. Maybe it's your blood or your saliva or your poop that you're sending in and they're analyzing it and telling you foods to get rid of. I don't want to throw anyone under the bus, but I really don't recommend doing this because so many of them just have faulty um, data. There is one company that's pretty popular that, I mean, I'm not going to name any names, but start with a V. Yeah. Anyways, they analyze people's data and tell them all these foods that to remove and what their state of their stool is like, all this stuff. And I have had so many clients come to me um, with this apparently very unique 
data set. You have this unique diet made for you. And I'm like, wow, why do I have eight clients who have the exact same random foods that apparently they're intolerant to? Like the exact same. And I've this happens in groups. And then I've had multiple clients. They send me the list that this company sends them. And then a few weeks later, they're like, wait, I just got an email. They said that there's a mix up with the data and this is my new list and it's completely different. Now, you know, before you couldn't eat cauliflower and almonds and oh, now you can eat those, but you can't eat eggplant and and I don't know, walnuts. Like it's it's just so random. And the fact that these very specific foods, like the groups would be the exact same for 10 different people who are very different. I just don't think it's legit. Um, I don't really, I don't know. I just, it's faulty. But the point is you don't have to go through tests like that. You don't have to pay to get these food sensitivity tests. If you just support the uh, function of your gut, if you support your gut lining, um, you know, maybe the stomach acid, leaky gut, the fat malabsorption, even just chewing more, starting with the dietary recommendations I mentioned at the beginning. I've given you more than enough in this podcast to work through a lot before you need to, you know, move further. Maybe down the line, an MRT and a stool test will be necessary, but you don't need to jump there. I see a lot of people making the mistake of either jumping straight to tests. So people will just jump to testing and they'll go, They'll do the whole nine yards and they could have just started with all the basics and gotten rid of a lot. They just are assuming the worst in terms of digestion. Sometimes you overthink digestive issues. Um, I mean, literally overthinking them can cause them because the stress of that will cause digestive issues. Sometimes literally all of your digestive issues are stress. Like I hate to say it, but sometimes it's true. Um, which is why stress management is key. So sometimes people just jump to testing. And then there are also people who just stick with food only. And they they stick to a healing diet and they get relief and they just don't do anything else or they think food is going to heal them. And then they complain all the time. I see this with influencers all the time who have like an IBD or an autoimmune disease and they found a healing diet that helps with some of the symptoms, but they're still sick and they still have pain and they're still dealing with these things. And Sometimes food isn't enough. Sometimes you need to supplement, you need to support your digest your digestion, your digestive tract, like the function of what's going on, all of these things that I've just mentioned before. And sometimes just that basic support can make a world of a difference. So sometimes, sometimes nutrition, you just need to focus on the basics and change your nutrition. And for some people, that does it. Um, for other people, you need to actually support the the functioning of, of your gut, you know, got to get to the root cause. Food doesn't heal everything. For some people, it can, maybe, but doesn't feel, heal everything. So you need to see where you're at and just start at the beginning and then work your way up. So I hope that this podcast was helpful. Share it with anyone you think would enjoy it. Remember that I have a lot of my exact protocols, all of this information on my blog, ChristinaRiceWellness.com. I go more in depth on my membership post. So if you are a member, it's a monthly subscription. You can cancel anytime. You do get access to more specifics um, of what I typically recommend. And remember to always check with your practitioner whenever you make any changes. This is not medical advice. Not medical advice. I'm not a doctor. And if this type of thing interests you, if you're struggling with this, if you want more help and more support, 
Don't forget that my Paleo Women Lifestyle program is opening up for enrollment Monday, July 15th. That is this upcoming Monday. Limited spaces are available. This is the last time I'm running it, but we can troubleshoot these issues on live calls in the Facebook group. We will get to the root of it. And you also have all the other women in there for support. They might have ideas as well. If you want to secure your spot, you can email me at christina at christinaricewellness.com to get on the wait list and you will secure the $200 off price. So that's early bird pricing and your place in the program. And we will be starting on July 22nd. I'm so excited. So digestion is just such a big topic. There's so much I could say. This is just pretty surface level and just kind of the basics of where can you start? You know, if someone says... I have gut issues, like that's such a big question and that could mean so many different things, but these are some things to start with. Um, Low-hanging fruit, in my opinion. If we look at cleaning up the diet, focusing on an anti-inflammatory whole foods-based diet, maybe taking out some of the foods that are harder to digest or tend to cause digestive issues like garlic and onions and maybe cruciferous vegetables, toying, toying with that, and then basic digestive support like digestive enzymes and digestive bitters, adding in some apple cider vinegar, making sure to include a high-quality spore-based probiotic, some foods that support your liver, um, get in those bitter greens, and then these lifestyle factors like proper exercise, um, sipping water throughout the day, not with meals, making sure you leave some space in between your meals and don't eat too close to bed, managing your stress, getting enough sleep, chewing your food enough, eating in a parasympathetic state. These are all really helpful tips to start off with and then you can move from there. And remember, further resources are always on my blog, on my website, christinaricewellness.com. If you have more questions related to this podcast, feel free to send them in at podcast at christinaricewellness.com. Happy to talk more about digestion if you want. I love this topic. And if you enjoyed this episode, please share it on social media. That really helps me out. And leave a rating interview on iTunes if you liked it as well. You can also join our Facebook group, Wellness Realness Podcast Tribe. Follow Wellness Realness Podcast on Instagram where I post memes that I enjoy. All the things. So I hope this was really helpful either for you or maybe you can share with a family member. Let me know what you think. Okay, I hope you have an amazing rest of your day. Thank you for being here. I appreciate you. Take a few deep breaths, get into that parasympathetic state. And I'll talk to you again next time. Bye.